0: Remember that one time when we were recording and I just got the new exercise bike and I thought it'd be funny to set up my iMac on my bookshelf and do the exercise bike while we recorded and then I leaned forward and the whole
1: shelf came
0: out. You mm-hmm. remember that? And everything came crashing mm-hmm. down. That was funny. Mm-hmm. That was funny.
1: Do you remember when we were meeting with Jason? And he's like, so tell me more about your guys' own business plan. Like, where you guys want to go? And we just laughed and laughed. <laughs> <laughs> Not into poverty. <laughs> plan, plan. Hmm, this is all kind of just worked out. I don't know why. People find that if... On Patreon, if you do two extra things a month, like two extra types, of, there's been an increase in people like willing to pay for more. Like people are willing to pay for content. That's why Apple's doing the paid thing and all and all and all other, yeah. uh, this other stuff. And Patreon's found if you put out two things, two things a month of extra content, you tend to keep people. Um, they like you know just stay. Cool. And so and we have a decent retention. It's not great, but it's not awful either. And I was like, man, like what if if we can just like i like your like if we could just maybe just do if like the two of us could perhaps once a month just like w- like on our own or even together if you want to like just do something extra that we put out on like a tuesday or 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 something on to patreon
0: i honestly i was about to come to you and be like i need to quit how come i need we quit catching foxes because the editing is becoming so much i mean it's a it's a minimum 4 right. hours a week yeah yeah. I'm creating the show, I'm creating the show notes, I'm building the uh like the sponsors, we had to create three new sponsor pages and then campaigns and then tie them to the exact minute and like all of that stuff that just go it's all just the extra work that goes in. And of course last week was an anomaly because we had to record during the day on Thursday and the morning on Friday and I literally had the busiest week of my year and I think yeah. I'm just kind of fussy over how busy everything was because I accidentally overscheduled myself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I was doing it. I thought I was keeping ahead of this stuff. And then I just kept saying yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And now all of a sudden I'm like blinded. So um I am I'm literally taking the day off work tomorrow because I got too busy last week. I I've I've worked at my jobby job 14 days in a row. On top of that, I've done uh two programs uh you know outside of my parents, one at AM. And one down in Houston. But then I, it was the, also the same time that my wife, I did the talk for their elementary fa- or the SAC prep people. And on top of that, I had convalidation class. And I had to write a life night that I wasn't prepared for. And then I had to deliver the talk. And it was like one thing after another. And it just didn't let up. And and I had a baptism. And I had a high mass to attend in the, mm-hmm. at the ordinary, which is like two hours long. Mm-hmm. Which all of that was awesome and it was it was very life giving for me. But at the same time, um it just every minute of every day for fourteen days was like scheduled out. And so I just maxed out and so I got really fussy and was like, screw this, maybe I'll ask Jay to do the next like few episodes. And Jay might actually be I'll float the ad to him if that might be something. I don't know what like you're to talking do. about. He's a coworker. Sorry. I don't know why I said that. He's a coworker of mine that manages our media at San Anthony's mm-hmm. and he just like, I mean, he makes posts that all of a sudden hit thousands of views for our stupid parish. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. and he's a, he's younger than us. He uses words like fire and he knows people like Olivia Rodriguez. I don't know who that is. Exactly. It's a very popular, he's a DJ. It's a very popular singer that I've never (laughs) heard of. And he's like, you're kidding me. She's like literally the hottest thing. She's like the new Ariana Grande and Madonna. And I was like, never heard
1: of her. (laughs) Madonna? Uh, I mean, do you want (laughs) to quit the show? No. Are you sure? I don't. Are you sure? No, I don't. But I
0: I want to get into interviewing now. I think like we've, it's like bad Christian. Like everyone knows who we are now, even people who don't listen to the show. I think it's time to take, who we are, and start smashing it into interviews. Like whenever we do an interview, not all the time, but we tend to do a lot better. But I think we need to go after bigger people and
1: start pulling them into our. I think to let, you know my my only con- I, I I I agree with you. I'm totally on board with you on that. My only concern is that like I don't have the capacity to do this during the day, right. Like, that's my main concern is I really, I really, really don't. Well, Um, then hopefully our brand can be, hey, this is going to be an interview unlike any
0: interview you've had. We want you to be at home in your fuzzy slippers with a glass of booze.
1: Yeah. And just having a casual conversation. That's not a bad idea. And if they can't do it, they can't do it. Like, I don't want to bend over backwards for a Leah Darrow if she doesn't do stuff at night. Yeah, you know, and like I, I, and I would say this: like, I don't want to even. I mean, I feel like Matt Fred might be the exception, and, and Matt would probably record. Did he? Did he? We, no, we recorded during the day the last time that we did it. Yeah, but I don't want to even necessarily do that. I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that might be kind of selfish, but I'm, I'm kind of I'm with you in the sense where I'm. I don't know. I'm very like, I don't know. I'm. I mean, I'm slowly trying to. I'm like slipping back into like where I was last fall, which is just like very tired yeah. and very very bitter. Uh huh. And just because I, I this is, of oh, this is school. Yeah. And I
0: mean, we are just,
1: very busy right now. Yeah. Home, I- like
0: my Cecilia is not doing well. My wife is struggling with her, but she's also not doing well. I am not doing well. And so it all kind of compounds. And so these last, like, maybe three weeks, I feel like, Prior to the busyness of last week, I feel like I've been the best three weeks in the last six months. But at the same time, it's like, like um, the level of exhaustion, which is kind of what I want to talk about today. The level of exhaustion.
1: Let's let's, let's just do it.
0: Okay. The level of exhaustion is not backing down, and there is uh, a buddy of mine sent me this um, quote from. Oh, it's a, he's half Korean, half German. He lives in Germany, I believe. He writes in German. He's a philosopher. It turns out he's Catholic, and he wrote this book called *The Burnout Society* and *The Death of Ritual*. And um, and he wrote this article in *The Nation*. And *The Nation* tends to be much more strongly left wing. And in *The Nation*, he talks about like the, he called it the tiredness virus. Mm-hmm. And he's saying like the coronavirus could not be a better simulation of late modernity, of the late modern world. He's saying, everything about the coronavirus exposes the exhaustion at the heart of society. And when I was, I sent you um, a couple quotes that I just love from this dude. Um, let me pull them up real quick here. Um, in it, he sa- he has this great line where he's referencing Kafka and it comes from his article, The Tiredness Virus where he said self-exploitation is more efficient than exploitation by others because it goes hand in hand with the feeling of freedom. Kafka expressed with great clarity the paradox of the freedom of the slave who thinks he is the master. In one of his aphorisms, he writes, the animal wrests the whip from its master and whips itself in order to become the master, not knowing that this is only a fantasy produced by a new knot in the master's whiplash. And I started thinking about this because, you know, you and I, we talk about the, the, the Ratzinger slash uh, Balthazarian turn of like receptivity. Like you got to stop. You got to stop doing the via the Vita Activa, right? This constant action. And you got to be contemplative. You got to be receptive towards the world. And modernity despises receptivity. It always favors action. Mm -hmm. And for me, that came about when one of my coworkers and I were talking about Rachel Hollis. You know who Rachel Hollis is?
1: I know that refresh girl wash
0: your face girl wash your face was the name of her best selling book so and it like she has a podcast a blog she has a whole lifestyle brand and then she wrote another book i can't remember exactly what it's called um i'm, I'm going to have to look it up real quick um uh and in her book her second book i was talking to my friend i go oh do you like that book and she goes i hate it i said why do you hate it and she said uh let me pull it up and i said why do you hate it and she said yeah, girls, stop apologizing. And she said, I hate it because here is this wealthy woman who is telling everyone to achieve your goals, right? It's like, I think, yeah, it's the subtitle of it, to achieve your goals and do this. Girl, stop apologizing. But it's all about, like, the book is filled with encouragements to do side hustles, to live your dream life. And your dream life, not entirely, but in a lot of ways, is conceived through the lens of consumerism. And it's like, oh, yeah. you think your job, your career, your this, your that isn't enough? Well, then get six more. That'll solve it. In, the, in our kingdom, you got to go twice as fast just to stay in the same place. And my fear, and, and I know this about me, Luke, and you know this about me, is I was afraid of not having enough money for my family. So I overcommitted. And March 2020 took all that away from me. And I was at home, and I loved it. And then what happened the other day, my daughter, Kateri, was talking to me and she said she made this side comment or a slip where she said, like, well, you weren't really my father. And I was like, what? What? And she goes before, like before COVID and stuff, you know, like you were never around. You weren't really like our dad. Like you were just here. Oh, but most gosh. of the time you weren't here. And I looked at her and I said, excuse me? And she goes, what? You were never here. You were always gone. And so, you know, you were kind of like this guy that is something. She said, so, she was like trying to explain herself, but it like got worse and worse. And she was like, you know, you're like, you're like just occasionally here, like you would just occasionally yeah. be our dad. And I was like, "Holy!" Like, I immediately felt like revolting about myself inside. Yeah. That even though that girl's dead wrong, how dare she?
1: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but I mean, she's expressing me. through the lens of a kid trying to uh, trying to, to like process a change. Yeah. Which is that like you're yeah. around more, and she likes yeah. that more, and it feels better. Yeah. And so she's saying, "I like this better." I mean, I can be totally wrong. This is, me, this is me, you know, being armchair. I mean, this is the epitome of armchair. I'm psychologist when my arm <laughs> rests on a chair. But and so I, I, I'm not, I, I, I say because I want, like, you are a very good dad. Like, you are a very, very good dad to all, all of those kids. And, like, kids can be, like, like that's not true. You know, like, you were a, a dad. And you were a good dad. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the time has come. It's a new better help read. So this episode of Catching Foxes is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If you are a fan of this podcast, it's odds are it's either a your job or b a breakup. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under forty eight hours. It's true, it's super fast. It's pretty awesome. It's not a crisis line. It's not self help. It is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. I think that this is one of my favorite parts of what BetterHelp offers because if you're having, so you have like sex addiction or you're, or you're struggling with, what else do people have addictions to? You know, um, Jeopardy. They've got the right people who can help you with uh, in in the right areas, and I think that's very, very cool. This service is available for clients worldwide, so all of our UK friends, you guys are good. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely, thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy, and I know all of our introverts on here love that. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make Make it easy and free to change therapists if you need to. It's more affordable than traditional therapy and love this fact right here. Financial aid is available. BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Uh, I love this. It's over at betterhelp.com slash reviews. But if you are ready to go, go to betterhelp.com slash foxes. That's better slash foxes and join over 2 million people. That is a lot. I mean, you know, not as many downloads we have, but still too many people is a lot, who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for Catching Foxes listeners, that's you. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash foxes, and get 10% off your first month. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this here episode of Catching Foxes.
0: Now, uh listen to this line that kills me. All right. So I went out and I got this guy's book, the burnout society. And I feel like the great resignation, the conversations, especially the one that you had the week after mm-hmm. where you're talking about abandoning careers and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like mm-hmm. it is really hitting home to me. And he said, um, this phrase, he said, uh, so he says that we went from a disciplined society, which, you know, the whole wokeness is based on, a the French philosopher, Michel, um, Michel Foucault. And in uh in that, he talks, he wrote this famous book called like Discipline and Pain or Discipline and Suffering, Discipline and Pain, which is all about our prison society and exposed a lot of prisons. That's where he became really famous. And so this, but what this author, this Korean German dude, um, his last name is Han, H A N, he describes what he calls today our modern culture as the achievement society. And he says the worst expression of it is yes, we can. And he says, he's critiquing another author, and he says, he also overlooks the systemic violence inhabiting achievement society, which provokes psychic infarctions. And an infarction is a breakdown, right? He says, it's not only the imperative, it is not the imperative only to belong to oneself, which he says is part of modernity, to belong to yourself, but the pressure to achieve that causes exhaustive depression. Seen in this light, burnout syndrome does not express the exhausted self. So much as the exhausted, burnt out soul. And he says, in reality, it is not the excess of responsibility and initiative that makes one sick, but the imperative to achieve the new commandment of the late modern labor society. And I'm like, ah, like I am an animal exploiting myself. And I feel like in that whole side hustle culture, and we pointed this out a long time ago, but like that's what gets lost is the fact that like, We think we're more free in our side hustles because we're the ones whipping ourselves rather than have another whipping us. That's, that's kind of Mm -hmm. his insight. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a lot of like, I want financial freedom. I want financial independence, but at what cost right now in my life, and just kind of wrapping up with all of the people in the fire movement, one reoccurring theme that I'm hearing from people who achieve fire is, oh, dear God, I wish I stretched it out over five more years before I achieved FIRE because I thought I was trying to be financially independent so I could retire early. But I just realized I work five jobs a week and I miss my kids growing up. Really? Yeah. And they, there's so many people that say that. They say like, like a lot of people's impetus for FIRE is to be at home with their kids. But what happens is they start working more. And they're in their home less. They do literally the exact opposite. And then they're like, okay, I, doing if I work for 10 years, I can retire at the age of 35.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And then they're like, well, crap. My youngest kid now is 10 years old or is seven years old, and he's at school full time. And I just missed out on all of the toddler years and all the fun uh, Yeah. You know, and they're do and and that's what they're doing. There's like over and over again, to the point where the people who manage all the podcasts they like keep warning people, like, "Hey, it's not about the money. It's about the freedom. And if getting the freedom is robbing you of the very reason why you want to do it then in the first place, stop doing it that way." So I feel like I'm robbing myself to a
1: point. Hmm. How? <sighs> I just sent you um, a link. Uh, Go into it. Read that really, really quick. Like, like just read the article out, out, out loud to all of our friends.
0: Unambitious loser with happy, fulfilling life still lives in hometown. Longtime acquaintances confirmed to reporters this week that local man Michael Hoosmer, uh, an unambitious 29 year old loser who leads an enjoyable and fulfilling life, still lives in his hometown and has no desire to leave. Claiming that the aimless slouch has never resided more than two hours from his parents and still hangs out with friends from high school, sources close to Houston reported that the man who has meaningful, lasting personal relationships and a healthy work-life balance is an unmotivated washout who's perfectly comfortable being a nobody for the rest of his life. (laughs) Mike, my whole life, and he's a good guy, but it's pretty pathetic that he's still living on the same street he grew up on and experiencing a deep sense of personal satisfaction childhood friend david gorman said of the unaspiring completely gratified do nothing as michael graduated from college he moved back home and started working as a local insurance firm now he's nearly 30 years old living in the exact same town he was born in working at the same small-time job and is extremely contented in all aspects of his home and professional life it's really sad (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how anyone could let themselves end up like that, Gorman continued, but it
1: seems perfectly fine being nothing more than a genuinely happy deadbeat for the rest of his life. I think it's out there because it, it goes on, it, but it's just really yeah. more of the same. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. It keeps going on and on. Wait, hold on a second. This is actually a, a good part. According to relatives who moved thousands of miles away and are currently alienated from much of the family, um, Husper has um, never once taken a, a major professional or financial risk. Choosing instead to coast through life by putting considerable time and effort into his rewarding of marriage, playing an active role in his two of um, children's of lives, and being sincerely thankful for what he. As in this world. <laughs> oh, this is great. More Moreover, over... <laughs> several
0: cousins who rely on medication to treat anxiety related to the perceived social status of relative wealth compared to their childhood friends confirmed to reporters that Hoosmer is unlikely to change at this point and may in fact remain a good natured and highly fulfilled layabout for the rest of his life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, And that's like I, I, I want to add before, before we yes. go I don't think there's anything wrong with being like career oriented or wanting to like do well in what you're doing or wanting to climb a corporate ladder or anything like that or wanting you know like I am like there's a reason why I'm in I'm grad school, all right? You know, but there is a if you think that's what you have to do to have a happy life, you are wrong. Yeah. You know, now if you're doing that to want to provide for of your family, or you feel like this is something that you're just very um, very ex-Catholic still feels twinge of Sorry, I just read the other headline you sent. <laughs> Ex-Catholic still feel twinge of guilt every time he masturbates on the subway. I <laughs> <laughs> see
0: the other part, all I saw it's the first half.
1: But I was actually uh talking with Anne uh today. Ann was the person who's the other person in the de- in the development office that I had a reference last last week, and she was saying how I hope you don't mind that I'm going to bring this up, but just kind of saying like you know like we were kind of we were i'm talking for a bit like uh, like like a lot of times when you're un- raising money you have conversations about like what do you do with wealth because you're trying you know because that's when we like if a, if a if a person spends a lot of money it's not a good it's not a good um, indicator of wealth. It could be just a good indicator of like, you know, they don't have any cash and they have a lot of debt. And she was um, we were kind of comparing it to like being in this being in a place like Cincinnati, comparing it to being in um, Sydney, Ohio, or, or like even in Dayton. She was saying, you know, like a lot of friends who are in um, big cities or, or or like they kind of live the same lives that like that like she lives. Like they're yeah. in, they've got school stuff. They're like kids have things. They're they're kind of um busy doing the same stuff. It's just certain things are they have to drive a little bit um further to get that. But she feels like you know she's in a small town. Or her family, I hope Anna doesn't mind that I'm I'm talking about this. But so I'm gonna kind of stop. But my point though being like it um how much of a difference is it in your real day to day um day to life being to live the things that really make you happy? How much of a difference is there? If you're the guy who moves, who like you know, like who like lives back home, or if you cut back on your you know engagements for a bit, or you actually say, you know what, I want to be very, very good at my job. I'm not gonna, I'm sacrifice, I'm not gonna sacrifice my family for the sake of a career. When you compare like what you have in life that like really matters, if you take a look at your life and say, this is what's really important to me. This is what, this is what I want to spend time on. Because that actually counts. How much of a difference is there between that and your current state if you are if you are going all of the time, and if you were to cut back a little bit to be to, to to be able to spend more time doing the things that you love? See, this is the difficulty with
0: me in answering that because right now what I want
1: to say is I would quit catching
0: foxes, I would quit every new shabao, I would stop doing all of my podcasts. Or excuse me, all of my speaking engagements, and I would just be like my dad, who had a job, and then had a family, and he volunteered with the Knights of Columbus. Like, isn't that enough for a rich and fulfilling life?
1: Well, here's the other, isn't that enough. Here's the other thing too that's interesting, and I, I'm. I need to like read the research that this is based on or like read the papers as opposed to just what is being a But apparently according to this book that I am, I'm reading people who volunteer, like it's so good for you. Like you have to do it between one to 15 hours, hours a week, but volunteering is going down because a lot of people feel like they don't have time. Yeah. Everyone else throughout all of history has had time up until now, apparently.
0: Yeah, not yes. sure what happened. We are the only ones that don't have time. Yeah,
1: yeah. and it
0: it's amazing. It, I hear that from young adults all the time. I, I really
1: wish I could, but I don't have time. I'm like, you do. You just got to make it a priority. I'm not going to do that. But, okay, but it's tough because you've. I like, think <laughs> of all the things that you have. Like, I mean, this like Apple Watch. I'm thinking about either like I don't want to return it, <laughs> but the apartments is like, oh God, I don't want all of this. I need to change this. Like, I don't yeah. want text. notifications. On. I don't want like. I just want. To be healthy and to track that—that's really all I want. And a cool Apple interface—is that too much to ask for? Um,
2: Yes.
1: (laughs) And it—it is—it is is a little like I don't know, man. It's like
0: there comes a point where our digital devices own us. I feel like more than we
1: own them. Well, this is—I mean, is a digital devise the thing that owns us or is it actually a symptom of something mm. much Ooh. much bigger go on well like okay so we're at a point right right now where, like you know we're um i am you know i am in my wealth earning years, and it's yeah. nice it's nice and grad school should hopefully help with that a bit but i i, I last fall was too much it was too much. I mean, like I was miserable. I feel terrible. Everly's like, I just like Everly. I feel like just doesn't care about me at at all, which isn't true. But like, you know, she's just all about Aaron. And I and it, like, I'm I hate my commute. Like, I just feel so robbed. I I, I feel like it's just it's it is a lot. I'm okay. I'm, and I and there's a part of me that's like, this is just for a time. This is just for a, a season, and it's going to be worth it. But. I, I I am hitting this kind of point where I'm like, listen, are we, like, perhaps the thing that's going to come out of COVID is we've all been, like, red-pilled. And I don't mean, like, the dude, I mean, like, just yeah. like the, hey, this is what actually counts, and everything else is kind of a lie. You know, that this whole thing about, like, if you just work, I don't know, like, what... Like, what do I want out of life? Like, what do I want? This is what I'm I'm wondering. Like, what do I want? What do I really, really want? Because the Bengals are like in the playoffs and it's awesome. But my life isn't any better. It is really fun, though. (laughs) Like, let me be clear it is very, very fun. It's very awesome. But, like, true, like, sports doesn't really matter that much, it's just fun. There are other things that I can do. There are other things that there are books that I can read. There are like there's art that I can um that I can um uh, look at that is just as enjoyable and as fulfilling as that almost. Um like what do I want? And I I was on the Cincinnati.com um um website earlier on today and I was I'm um, reading some sports stuff and I was just just they just threw tons of ads at me and it was like I could barely read the article without having an ad in my face. And I was like, I don't want. I'm. I i do not want this. I don't like. I don't want this. You know. And I think part of the, and this is why I'm. This so is what I'm going back to. Like, is the watch like a problem, or is the is it the symptom of the thing that is actually really um bigger? And I think it's the thing of something that's really that is a bit um bigger. Because if I go back to why I left a lot of um, social media. For me, it was because it was the rage. I could not handle any more of like the rage on currency. That it just, yeah. it just was like it just was like if that's what Taylor Marshall wants wants to live his life. Fine, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I really. If that's what Church Militant oh, wants to do. If that's what like past Luke wants to do. Fine. You know, like I don't want to do it anymore. It is exhausting. And why are we even doing it in the first place? And I think, and I don't know how I don't know how to put this into words. I don't know on what it is, but I feel like the rage on the currency and all of the tech stuff and all of the like work stuff, this is all a distortion of something. Or this has all been distorted because of something. I don't know what that something is. But I feel like it's all just a lie that we've been fed or some distortion. Because it's like Taylor Marshall's like Taylor Marshall's anger about stuff is well founded. There's a lot of messed up stuff going on that's really hurtful and it's really hurting a lot of a, like a lot of uh people. It's good to want to have a career to create to like work is a dignified thing that existed before the fall. It is a part of like being like God is to create and to work and to do things. It is a good and holy it is a good and holy thing. Technology isn't inherently bad. Uh, right. It's a gift from God that can that can be good or bad, and it's all been disordered. It's all been it's all been screwed up, and I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like post modernity. I don't know if if it's like um, Balthasar and it's on I'm a technique Umbaqua. Uh, uh, um, if it's that, I really don't know. It's just like something is insane. It might just be original sin, and this is just the like something is insanely broken here, insanely insanely unbroken, and I don't know how to fix it besides just being, a re- being receptive to Christ and his church, which sounds like a freaking platitude. I want to put myself in the face, but I don't know like, what else to say, though. The OSV Challenge is back for 2022, brought
0: to you by the OSV Institute for Catholic Innovation. I love this idea. The OSV Challenge is a multi-round entrepreneurial competition designed to accelerate unique project ideas in any stage from Catholics whose faith motivates them to make a difference. Seeking people with ideas ready to impact the church that deserve to be nurtured, cultivated, and taken to new heights. I love this. I think this is brilliant. We need to do Venture capital in the kingdom, right? Use Mm -hmm. modern tools in order to build up the church. The OSV challenge invests over $1 million annually in these Catholic innovators to make this happen. New for 2022, OSV Institute has developed four new tracks for applications to the OSV Challenge for the purpose of expanding relevant content and uncovering how best to support the dynamic and different needs of each track. $500,000 prizes. Five of them. Five $100,000 prizes. Only five this year. That's yeah, great. That's at great. least one winner from each track. That's awesome. Applications open January 31st. So next week, 2022, visit osvchallenge.com for full details and to apply by February 18th. So January 31st, it opens and it ends on February 18th. Uh, and you can have uh, record to the website for even more context if you need it it's all good baby they're great I love the people I they're
1: have. all I'm like this Jason. is a cool they're challenge wonderful wonderful thing yeah. yeah I the chance to go on the visit them their uh, site maybe three years ago now and I was so impressed I was so so impressed with what they're doing and like they are kind of a hidden giant of the church here in the states that's really coming back out to uh to the Forefront so I'm really excited about what they're doing yeah. so this is great stuff and
0: let's not forget that our friends uh Anna and Shannon over at Eden oh, in. Yeah. The They were winners, um, which is I just love. So uh, 2020 OSV Challenge Femme Catholic, um, also a winner. Um, How to walk your friends through abortion. Like They do tons of stuff to Minnesota women. There's so much cool stuff that is out there that deserves to be recognized. So, thank you to uh, OSV, the OSV Challenge, for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Head over to osvchallenge.com for more details. Well, you know, one of the great things of are looking at this from modernity, like we have people like that have been thinking about this for a long time, and they don't just point out the problems. In in my opinion, the reason why Wendell Berry was so captivating for me, the whole uh, he's an agrarian, is he's pointing out how like why he made a decision not to use a tractor instead he uses a team of horses, right? And it's like at first you think it's just quaint nostalgia. And he's like, this is not that. This is the best tool for the job that doesn't ruin the land and doesn't make me part of the problem and put, get my hands dirty in the very industries that are, you know, f- sending soldiers around the world to kill for oil and you know all this stuff. He said mm-hmm. there is this part where we are, s- and so he. The, the title of the book is called The World Ending Fire, and there's an. It's just a collection of his essays from nineteen like sixty seven to present. And The World Ending Fire, the title comes from one of his essays in the middle, which he says, it is industrial society. And he said, we know that it's gotten better to make a ton of things. And he said, but here's the problem. like You have a man who works on a factory floor who never sees the beginning or end of his product. He's not responsible for it. All he's responsible is screwing this nut into this hole, and then the machine moves on. And he talks about how, like, it's like the Marxist critique that the Marx said, like, when the capitalist comes and the industrialist comes and the and the monopolist comes, they remove man from the natural outcome of his labor, which is the product itself and selling the product itself. So he sells himself. That is Marx's fundamental critique of capitalism is a man's alienation from labor into wage slavery. And it's funny because GK Chesterton. Who literally like went went in, into ideological war with socialists and communists? He viewed he never critiqued that. That was the part that he saw from Catholic perspective. He could agree with. He's like, why is it that a farmer a farmer today thinks that he has to make you know 500 apples in order to sell them all, and if there's any left over, maybe he can eat some. Whereas a farmer 200 years ago thought he's going to farm food for his family. And if there's any left over, he'll sell those. He's like, it's a fundamentally different way of approaching the world. Like, that's what's broken is like we're 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 so severed from the thing. But you can't argue with the machine. You can't argue with industrialism and say you're wrong for making abundance because I don't give a shit at the cost of abundance. Someone's paying that price, the environment the Mississippi River Valley, right? like like poor people in, in China where they have to put nets to catch suicide victims so they don't die, like I, I, so that I can get my iPhone at under $1,000. Like all of these things are a part of the same freaking process. And it's like, I'm so alienated from the sun, the moon and the stars with my electric light and my work on a computer screen and all of these things. They're all disembodied. And that Choi Han guy, he says, he makes this great line where he says, you know, even playing video games, like you think you're interacting, but it's a flat world that you're interacting with. And now what we're going to do is we're going to pay hundreds of dollars to put that flatness all around us with VR headsets and call it the metaverse. And uh, just today, Father David Huss sent me a, a thing from, what's his name, Keanu Reeves where he was over at a director's house from some movie and they were talking and the kid had never heard of the matrix. And he said, well, he goes, explain to me, to my children, what the matrix is. And he goes, well, it's about a man who wakes up in this world and he feels discontent. And he realizes that this world isn't the real world. And the girl interrupts him and goes, so, and he goes, well, so, so what? And she goes, so what? And he goes, what do you mean? So what the world's not real. And she goes, yeah, who cares if it's real or not? And he goes, what? And she goes, who cares if it's real or not? And he looked at her and he goes, wow, that's cool. And I was like, oh god, God. like this is this is the culmination of our malaise, where we become one with the machine, so that we don't even care if
1: it's real. You know what's so interesting about that is that's kind of one of the points of the of the the Matrix, uh, whatever the hell it's called. Um, Resurrection. Yeah, it's a, it's a mess. It's a mess of a movie. But there's these nuggets. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait a second. There are people, it's implied, and I wish they would follow this. I wish they would have untangled this a bit more. It's implied there are people who chose the Matrix. Yeah. Like, who, who said, no, 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 I would rather just stay there. And I think yes, yeah. which is how the third one ends. That's how the third one ends, with him saying,
0: you got to give them a choice to stay or not. So, I haven't watched the fourth one, but that's actually the that's the deal he strikes with the machines is if they oh, want to be right. free yeah, you yeah. have
1: to let them go uh ooh, way to pull a thing from the third one i was uh and it, i know and i i do think there's there's a there's a bit of like a um it uh I see this with sports a lot, so a big thing so i'm gonna tie this back to the u s men's um national team so um thank God drink uh there's a roster that's been announced for the games this week for World Cup qualifying. People are upset that certain players weren't called, and it doesn't. And for the most part, in in international soccer, it's not your 23 best players that tend to get the job done. It's it's the cause that's how big the um, rosters are. It's who are the right ones that fit that fit the system that like you want. And so sometimes guys who are very, very good get cut, and there's the guy who was not on the team who's our best on almost center back, and people are like, "Why is he not there? This is absurd like our our like um coach is bad, and like i am um, blah 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 where th- I- I have, a, and what seems to be happening, there's all these um, human elements that are preventing him from being on the team. He might be a bad um, teammate. He's upset if he's not the number one guy, and blah 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 blah. And, be, and it's like there's this human thing that's per, that's preventing him from having. Or he's got the guys that like he wants to to do the things that he wants to do, and this guy for whatever reason doesn't fit. But to everyone else, it's math. It's these are these are these are his numbers. He should be there. And that's just not how that's not how reality works. People are, and, and, and I think it's going back to like this kind of point of like I think we want some like it, it, everything just gets reduced to uh, like we just deny humanity even even exist. You know, like, you know, or like it's, in, it's, it's, it's inconceivable to some of them people that a person who's very, very good could be a bat on a teammate to the point where it's actually better to not have them on the team. I don't know if that's the case or not. I'm with this guy, but I am making the argument. There are some teams where it's like, it just isn't worth it. You're actually not going to win as much. Like not every, like. The rare people can do that, like a, um, Michael Jordan, can be a total um, douchebag, and you can still win. That is the exception, not the rule. There are maybe five athletes in the world that can do that. Even even like, um, even um, even like take someone like Lionel Messi, as good as he is, probably the greatest p- player to ever play the game of the almost, almost soccer, can't help his um, national team win because there just aren't enough good guys around him. And he'll probably never win the World Cup because of that fact. And he's not Jordan in that sense. Jordan could propel his team. The game kind of allowed that to happen. And it's like it I, – I just sometimes like get just so annoyed when people like just deny humanity. And I, I think part of it is I have to kind of – like use myself a bit because i'm like well why are they selling me why are they trying to get me to buy all this stuff because i'm a human being who buys like i need to allow myself to be a little bit impatient with like my i'm a humanness because just as much as like if i want like if if we want the farm right if we want to have that that like you know the like, reality of the farm we've got to be willing to put up with a lot of the ugliness that is a part of being on a farm having to kill animals that aren't that are like you know insane yeah. like there's a story that a person put on our um Patreon page about like, you guys are like idolizing a farm, but like here's a story that like horrify you and I was like, oh, good gosh <laughs> and like Yeah, like
0: that was so heartbreaking. I've been thinking about that family. This person told us a story of how they did everything they could to protect their sheep and then and just to break even and then half their sheep were killed by feral dogs the day after they finally like, you know, felt secure. And so they're not even gonna break even. And they're gonna like many farmers, they're gonna plunge deeper into debt. And you're just like, Oh, Oh my gosh. Oh, I wanted to like, sort of uh, like a go fund me. <laughs> yeah. Good Lord. I'll buy your Merino wool for
1: my scapulars. <laughs> yeah. But that is, you know, and that, that is like, a, um, if I want the humanness, if I really want that there, then that means I have to embrace some type of suffering. And that's kind of what all of this, I you don't know, this, this could be the thing perhaps that all this stuff is trying to avoid is pain and suffering. I don't mean I'm like, I don't mean that we should not strive for what is um, like what um, is just. Okay. So we should be angry about stuff that's going on over within the church and how we're robbed of our God given like traditions and all this stuff. We should be angry about it's good to provide for your family. It's good to, you know, have, there's ways that tech can help us. But if we don't want to – if we want to avoid pain, that is no – it's impossible. It is impossible. And it scares the shit out of me. Like, it really does. Like, like, I mean, in Idaho, there's something healing about going outside, and you can't see a damn thing, but the stars are just everywhere. And there's something about that that, like, soothes my soul that's so, like, wonderful and just – it is, it's, I don't know how to explain it. It is a, it is a gorgeous feeling, but to get it, you got to be in Idaho. You're not going to get that in the city. You're just not. And that's the price of, you know, it.
0: it's amazing. It's amazing. Think about when you were in the darkest part of Idaho and you looked up at the night sky and you saw maybe even the Milky way, like more stars than you ever saw ever. And one of the things is because light pollution is almost universal, like in terms of land mass, you almost got to go to the open seas now to get zero light pollution. But you look up and, and then you realize this, that all of our ancestors for almost all of time in almost all of the earth could look up and see what you saw and be in awe of the night sky. And they didn't have to travel like a tourist to go and see it. But now we, we, no, think about, just think about that level of alienation. Now we have to travel on a vacation to go to a destination. Now we had to do research on the light pollution so that you can look up and say, this was the ordinary man's view. Now, don't get me wrong, I am very happy for penicillin. I am very happy for anesthesia and all the other beautiful things that makes modern indoor life uh, doable
1: yeah. <laughs> indoor <laughs> and plumbing. Like any other country, you would have died within days. He's got you there, dad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I just sit there and I think about that. Um, what What is robbed from us, the more mechanized and And we make our society. And then you find that like, and I'm not even talking about what we've done in the industrial food economy. Like, I mean, this one line that he said, he said, it took 50,000 years for Mother Nature to make this much topsoil in Kentucky. And it took 100 years for us to rob it all the way to bedrock. And he goes, where is the Kentucky topsoil that was six feet deep? He said it's all in the ocean now. It's gone. It's in the lake beds and the oceans and it's useless. And we did that to ourselves and you're like, "Oh my dear Lord." He said, "We, we don't have 10,000 years to fix our problems." Right? We we can't wait around for 10,000 years in order for this ground to be fruitful again. He's like, "We have to do it now." And so I I it's stuff like that that I just think like what am I missing? And what I'm missing what am I replacing what I'm missing with? Like, um, there's now a thing called Zoom fatigue. Have you oh, heard yeah, of this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, we've talked about Zoom fatigue. It's not Zoom fatigue. It's Zoom dysmorphia. Jeez. Oh, so Zoom dysmorphia because now, Luke, do you own a mirror in your, do you have a mirror hanging up in your office at work? Uh, no, I do not. Okay, do the do are there some women in your office that have a mirror hanging up in there? In and yes, I feel like building? yes,
1: I feel like uh, one of the two do.
0: Isn't <laughs> it so funny? All the women that I know in my office, they all have a mirror hanging up, and I'm like,
2: "What are you even guessing? Like, why don't I have a
0: mirror?" <laughs> and, and why is it in the same type of frame that all my photos are in? Like you girls, what are you doing here? This is perfect. But so they all have this, but it's always like it's not like they stare at it all day. It's usually. Up in a place that like if they're walking out their door, they're going to have a meeting, they can look and fix their hair or whatever. I know that whenever I'm in their office, or I'll jump in their office and be like, "Okay, my hair's good, I'm going out now. Um, now think of zoom and how you always have that camera aimed on you. Do you stare at your camera image a lot? oh yeah, when you' are uh, zoom all the time. okay, so right, so you can't help it, right? like your face is more interesting than their face. But here's the funny thing. If you don't look directly into that camera, when they look at you on the screen, you have to be staring at your camera in order to, quote unquote, make eye contact. So you're not looking at them. You're looking at the camera and vice versa. They're not looking like if they want to receive your eye contact, they have to look at the screen. But then you perceive them as not looking at you. And you have this weird disjuncted effect, right? So, yes, it's better than maybe. Maybe it's better than talking on the phone because you can see facial expressions but maybe it's not um but then you have this thing where people become obsessed with looking at their own face to the point where luke i had no idea i got to find the stat on this but the author was saying in that in that in the nation piece which you can find in our show notes um the author was saying that there is like a, it's like quintupled the amount of cosmetic surgeries especially on someone's face holy cow because think about this, when you inter- you're you talking with, like, there can, I can go five hours without looking at my reflection. I'm in the office, I'm doing work, I'm not looking at my reflection when I'm answering emails, I'm not looking at my reflection when I'm answering phone calls, writing things in a Word document, talking to my coworkers, but if I stared at my face for an hour, and I'm like, gosh, I look tired, gosh, like, my bedroom looks stupid, my office looks bad, it doesn't look like a YouTube video, I've literally said that like 10 times to myself. Van Bickle said to me, every time I talk to you, it looks like you're in a different room. And I'm like, I'm in a different room. I just move the computer around. And it's like because I'm going for a look, you know, and I feel self-conscious mm-hmm. that people are are they feel so they look so tired that they're literally getting shots in it, uh, around their eyes to, to smooth out the skin, to remove wrinkles. Uh, the software now can can smoothen your face. And you're like, what? What is happening to us? And they called it, I think it was called Zoom Dysmorphia. I'll have to look for it. This is us, man. This is us. This is what we've become.
1: So, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens. <laughs> okay. Can we, I, I just, I know we have, I know we've got it. We, ha, we ha, yeah. have some copy. My gosh. I am obsessed with Athletic Greens. I am absolutely obsessed with our next partner who has a product that I literally use every day. I started taking um, athletic greens because the pitch sounded very cool. This year I wanted to just embrace embrace health again, you know, uh, that's just my big thing and I so it's one of the main reasons why I did athletic greens and we and we uh, were able to meet with them and hear uh, a little bit of like what they're about a couple other podcasts that are on par.
0: They sent us these starter packs. Yeah. Which are awesome. 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This is what I do. I come downstairs, I open the kennel for my dog, dog comes out, I go right over, fill up my glass of water, 12 ounces, cold water, dump one scoop of Athletic Greens in there, and it's supplements for the whole day. It's awesome because the stuff they use is sourced from whole food ingredients, made in New Zealand. It tastes good. It's a powder that you dump in your drink. You can take it on the go. All of my health care regimens have fallen to the wayside, except for Athletic Greens. That should tell you something.
1: <laughs> I was a bit skeptical at first just because I was like, am I going to be peeing very expensive pee? Like That's what I'm, I'm wondering. So tons of people t- take some some like type of a multi-emolive vitamin, but it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients in that your body is going to like actually absorb. I could feel that happen like immediately afterwards, and I've been – I'm sleeping a little bit better. Everyone, I'm begging you to buy it so they will keep giving it to us. I don't even <laughs> know if <laughs> they're going to. It, I mean, like, like, honestly, God, I'm not kidding. Um, we're going to – like both Aaron and I are going to keep – doing this after. The problem with these sponsors, we start getting them because we're doing an ad and then I end up spending all the ad money
0: on buying more products. So So here's a great thing. This stuff is lifestyle friendly, whether you eat paleo, keto, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, it's fine. It's got less than one gram of sugar. Uh, no GMOs, which is very important for me and my family. No nasty chemicals or artificial anything. It's really good stuff. So, uh, this is what we're gonna say. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is gonna give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I have the travel packs. I will be using the travel packs. You don't have to refrigerate the travel packs. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash foxes. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash foxes. Move over, Joe Rogan, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance thank you to athletic greens for sponsoring this episode
1: of catching foxes and my body so good it's so good what do you do then like what do we do do we just like be like well we've pointed out all all of the problems podcast done
0: (laughs) isn't that the point of podcasting i don't even know anymore what's the point of anything (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, in in Korea, they call it the Corona blues because of the amount of um, excessive depression that they're that they're facing. You know, it's like it's incredible. It involves and this is going to sound trite, but I literally mean this. Okay, number one, it means me figuring out a way to slow down. It means me figuring out a way to be around people more, but have it cost less. So if I can avoid going to a bar but still have the same or more meaningful interactions, that's what I want. Mm. And I think that's what volunteering gets people, if they do it yeah, weekly. Th- that
1: is one point, yeah. Is it yeah, just that, yeah.
0: Like you're giving of yourself, and all of a sudden you find like-minded people, and you get to have these, you know, like my core members tonight, 20-minute conversations with people who love their faith, love teenagers, want to serve, want to be helpful.
1: Yeah, I love the idea of being around people and and it costing less. I like that. So for me, that means potlucks. That's what it means to me. Potlucks. Like bring
0: your own beer, bring a side dish. We'll cook the meat. I'll grill. Let's do a bonfire. Let's do something. Let's go camping. We're gonna go camping. I'm I'm, I'm gonna go camping.
1: Let's not go that far.
0: I'm not a camper. I the last (laughs) time I went camping, I went to a cabin. What are you gonna? It was a pos cabin. What are you gonna do?
1: But. (laughs) Save me, Noah. Save me. Your gomer's going to have to poop in the woods. woods. I'm going to have to poop in the woods. Shannon's going to be like, all right, kids. I would do it in the loo. (laughs)
0: Mom, why are you playing this rap? You'll
1: enjoy this country grammar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can find me in St. Louis. Yeah. No, I mean, it's funny you say that because think of camping. I think of this one time when I was out in the woods with a group of friends, we were camping for the night and I had to pee poop. So I went and I dug my hole and I was squatting and a branch broke that I was leaning against. And I peed all over my clothes and I just thought, well, not doing that again. (laughs) And it's been a decade or two. (laughs) I made good on my word for a yeah, decade. Yeah, or two. yeah. I've never done that. I'd
1: rather die. <laughs> you need to go glamping. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I I like being outside. I just you know, I I love like visiting people who are I. You know what uh, Andy and Uncle Wade did? They had an airstream, and mm, I like that. Yeah. I like that. I I thought that was <laughs> actually really really fun. So. So that's what I, I, I actually think I would enjoy doing an RV type of a thing. I mean, that'd be really fun. Yeah. So I, I, no, I really, so am um, sorry. Nope. No, no, no. When you go. I, well, I was going to say, so the
0: slowing down the tiredness, the getting physically healthy has to be a thing for me, mm-hmm. but I don't want it to be a thing, you know, like I have my set things that I want to do. I want to lift some weights. I want to do some hard cardio and I want to do a lot of walking because I actually find joy in walking and i've experimented with this weird form of walking where you don't listen to a podcast or audiobook what the hell do you do then? very weird i know you actually get bored and this guy that han guy he said don't ruin this for me (laughs) don't ruin this for me boredom is relaxation for a mind when you are maximally bored your mind is relaxed so be bored and then he said, and then you'll find you will be creative. And I'm like, Oh,
1: don't, shit. Don't okay. ruin my walks.
0: like my walks. <laughs> I do both. I do both. There will be one part of the walk where I just try to be quiet and walk, maybe puzzle about stuff. And then the other part of the walk, I'll do my other two miles. I'll do with uh, something playing.
1: Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. I think for me, you know, I, I really like your thing about like, Hanging out with people without it costing anything. Uh, Kevin Hyder stopped by last night, and it was so nice. Like it's always nice when he does. I love oh, it. Yeah, we'd you know just having a friend over for a bit, impromptu for like an hour and a half. We talked about like a mutual a uh, friend who stole uh, money from a uh, from the store that I used to work at in high school. <laughs> I, don't know I think a mutual friend's probably a bit of a stretch, but uh, uh, something that we both um, knew back in high school. Like you know, it just it like. Uh, who didn't, who, uh, who my sister did not like, because she said that this girl said that she didn't like girls who had bangs and Emily had bangs and Emily got mad at me for not defending her. But at the time I wasn't thinking about Emily. <laughs> so, you know,
0: well, sister, this might
1: shock you, but I was thinking of other women yeah. than you <laughs> <laughs> might surprise you, but I was trying to hit on her <laughs> and failing miserably. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wouldn't that be funny if you're trying to hit on her? She knows you're trying to hit on her. So she starts trashing every member of your family, but without (laughs) saying it. And so she's like, you know who I hate? People with bangs. You know who I hate? Little girls who play. uh, Pod racing uh, on. Pod racing. (laughs) (laughs) You know who I hate? People named after the meat in a hamburger. (laughs) Get it,
1: Patty. Yeah. Do you know who I hate? Your dad who one time wore jeans to a school thing that you had and his and this little sticker on the side of the jeans that said the waist and pant length was still on there. <laughs> <laughs> and the hot fun girls in your class that you were I'm um, friends with had to point that out, uh uh to you, but you were already a, a senior, so by that point in time it was just kind of um, funny and not really embarrassing. Oh, well that's good. Yeah. It was it was at the, yeah, it was for the homecoming court. We were like back in the library beforehand they get our pictures with our parents, and they're like, Your dad's sticker is still on his pant leg, and I was like, Oh, Gregors. <laughs> Classic Gregors. <laughs> That's such a Luke move in the future. I'll probably do something like that. Oh, by the way, do yeah. you wanna know how I'm gonna die? Yes. I will I'm calling it right now. I'm gonna die walking down my stairs. At some point in time, I'm gonna trip, I'm gonna break my neck, and that'll be the end of me. Who knows what age? Okay, can
0: I have your pappy Van Winkle?
1: Ah, uh, it's gone. Damn it! No, would you get his half well, of the podcast? Yeah, but that's your half. Ew. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. Uh, technically, you own, own more of the podcast than I than I do. Why Does is Because your that? payouts are higher.
0: <gasps> Does that mean I have a controlling interest?
1: Goodbye, Lou. <laughs> Probably, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we say it's I'm fifty fifty in terms of the decision I'm making and whatnot. But then if we get if you know, let's just say, oh, I don't know, uh, um, Ascension Press were to buy us for about like one point three million. Not that I'm offering for one point one point three, but let's just, just say, straight. you know, you would get a higher percentage of the one point three. Ah. Sorry, of the 800000 gotcha. to $1.3 that I would be uncomfortable Ooh. with receiving for the show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> where, do, where does this strangely specific number come from? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just looked at total uh, <laughs> Patreon revenue for a year, multiplied it by 25. Do,
1: do, do you remember that one time when I did that one thing that like, hey, like, here's a way to find out the net um, value of your business? And I was like, holy shit, we should sell right now. <laughs> <laughs> And then my and then our accountant was just like, no. And I was like, okay. <laughs>
0: uh, okay, Luke, as we close out this episode, what are you doing that people should know about? You reading anything interesting? Uh,
1: I am getting through the Iliad slowly. Oh, man, you warmed the cockles of my heart. I am I'm listening. Okay, I want I wanted to talk about some stuff that I was, I'm listening to, but I forget what it was. Uh, excuse me. Um, let me see here really quick. Why don't you tell people what you are enjoying right now?
0: Okay. So I mentioned it last week that I started doing a deep dive into like homeschooling curriculum. Oh Yeah. Stuff. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and the books. So there's two books, books that build character, uh, which we mentioned. The other one's called the read aloud handbook. So last night my kids were at gymnastics. So I was there with them. They were both doing their thing and I was reading through and uh, the, the read aloud handbook. So this guy, Jim Trellis, he like it. Uh, he he is a huge advocate of constantly reading aloud to your kids. Oh, cool. And he furnishes book lists. I encourage everyone to get the seventh edition of this book, the seventh edition. It's the most recent that doesn't dive into any weird crap. It's like normal stuff. And so you get this book. Now, here, this, I found this part so fascinating. I'm going to ruin the numbers, but the numbers are largely the same. You'll get the gist of what I'm saying. So imagine there are three groups of children that go to school, okay? One is from a professional class family. One is from a working class family. And one is from a welfare recipient family. So one is poverty line, one is above the poverty line, but two parents working. And one is professional, so maybe they can afford to have one parent working and one not, right? So, within this milieu, within this context of these three different families, right? I'm just kidding. But within the context of these three different families, <laughs> the word milieu actually doesn't fit at all in that sentence. So, we'll say context. The context for that is why does the welfare child fail more often and struggle more compared to the working class and the professional child? And the way that he talks about it, I think, is so like, to me, it's eye-opening. He said, okay, uh, if you're going to read a newspaper, you're going to come across like a lot of words that you probably wouldn't say in ordinary language, right? Like you you might read, you know, the written vocabulary is a lot more advanced. So reading, you come across a lot of words. If you do a lot of reading, you'll come across a lot of words. Your vocabulary will expand into very, you will accumulate a lot more rare words. Writing You will tend to emphasize better words. You'll have more thought into your sentences that you craft. So you'll use more rare words. And then he said, lastly, is speaking. We speak, we use a lot less rare words. You know, we use about a thousand words in different arrangements in our everyday speech. He said, okay, take all of that and realize the most important thing for a little brain is to be talked to and to be read to. So how do kids learn language? How do they just, just, just think of it in terms of raw accumulation of words and meanings attached to words? They look at the adult world and the, and the world of older kids and they absorb it and they learn that way. They said when you took what they did was they had these researchers who tape recorded every conversation for like two weeks until, you know, from like when they woke up to when they went to bed, including going to their school. And they said that a kid who comes from a professional family before day one of kindergarten gets, will hear uh, 40 million words, Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: right? Like, you know, same word, whatever, not like special, like unique words, 40 million words. The working class family is like 36 million. And the welfare family is about 24 million. So you're looking at half the amount of words from welfare to professional is being heard. Why? Because maybe you're, you're typically in welfare. A lot of people actually thought you had to be a one parent family. So you got a lot of single parent families on welfare. So that's just physically half the adults, right? You only got one person, but then oftentimes they're, they're working multiple jobs, right? The working poor, and so they put the kid in front of the TV. Even if it breaks their heart, they have no option, right? They got to go to work. So you're going to sit in front of this TV 3-year-old, and you're going to watch it while your, you know, 8-year-old sister, you know, cooks hot dogs for you, you know, or whatever. Like that's that was my parents' life when they were in the 60s because they had no money. My parents were in poverty, right? So what do you do? Well, you either go to work yourself or you watch television. And so what they found Was that when you get to kindergarten, the reason why the achievement gap is so huge is because if you can only understand a third of the stuff the teacher is talking about, of course, you're going to learn less. And from that point on, he he uses some crazy stat like in order for that kid to catch up to the professional parents, someone has to read to them aloud nine hours a day, seven days a week for like two years, like the amount of conversation. And the amount of being read to is exponentially higher for these kids. Hmm. And he said, so they come with less words in their head, so they understand less in the classroom. And if they don't have any place to pick it up, and if, they, if their home life doesn't have access to books, like just physical yeah. books around, yeah. then they're, they're SOL. And so he said that actually the racial gap has closed but the the rich poor gap has widened greater than it did 50 years ago so if you have middle class black families who are working class black families and professional class black families they're rated right the same with the white families right like they're reading to their kids they're talking to their kids so the he that's what he means by the the racial gap but obviously there are more poor blacks than there are poor whites you know in that ratio But the understanding is it's poverty more than anything else Hmm. that is causing kids to be an underachiever. And the idea of sending them to school early, you know, for for preschool is not the remedy. Yeah. And so you have this because the school teachers talk less to the kids than the parents do. Hmm. Because they're talking to 24 people. You know, or thirty people if they're you know, or ten people, you know, depending on your daycare. Um, what's the name of this book? It's called The Read Aloud Handbook. And here's the funny thing. So this guy is he sold over a million copies. This is not like he's talked to presidents, he's testified at Congress, like he's done all this stuff. And uh he, he advocates for basically three different things. One, you need to read to your kids. Doesn't mean it doesn't matter if they're in college high school, middle school, grade school, whatever, you need to read to your kids and you need to do it now and you need to do it more than you're comfortable with. He says, number two, you need to read the best books that you find enjoyable that make sense to them. And he said, kids who watch or who listen can listen to one, two, even three grade levels higher and they'll understand it better than if they're reading it themselves. So if they're at a first grade reading level and you read to them a book at a third grade reading level, chances are they'll still get it. Right. So when I was reading my kids, the Hobbit, when they were four and five, they still got most of it. Katiri got it all. Cecilia got most of it. The boys were a little lost and just scared at the goblins, which is weird because they're the dumbest creatures in the book. But whatever. Um, when when you start to do that. So then he says, OK, now you read books that you like, because if you don't like what you're reading there, you're it's going to come across in the way that you read. It. You're going to be bored. You're not going to do it. You're going to go three days without it. And then they're not going to be interested in the book anymore. So every single day, I read to my kids uh, the children's classic starter series or whatever on the Odyssey, right? So I read that to them, and I do funny voices. I do dramatization. I read fast. I read slow. I do all these things. So tonight, I've been reading um, The Greek Myths, and it's another one of these classic starters. I recommend those. They're really great. They're short sentences, but they still hit the main points of the story. And I read it, and I read it in funny voices. I get all into it and all this stuff. One of my son cried at the story of Orpheus, like they, like they love it. And so you build it up and he says, so this builds their vocabulary and they go nuts for it. So the first thing is what you read to them. The second thing is what they are required to read for school. So like, okay, you, you can, you know, whatever, I don't care about your fun reading right now. We have to read this and you make it as enjoyable as possible. So you read aloud to them. You give them required reading, and then you give them free reading, right? But the only way to do that is if you have so many books that there's something that'll always interest them or draw them or bring them in. And for most people, that's the library. That's where the library card comes in. And, you know, for us, I told my wife, the only thing I will never complain about buying is books because we'll read them. Our kids will read them, you know? So my Mm. wife bought Mm -hmm. 15 Saint books, Stories of the Saints. They're about 100 pages each from Tan publishers, right? Ugly-ass books. I do not know who designed these covers. Ugly-ass yellow books. But the stories are well-written. And my kids, except for Thomas, who's my youngest, who's six, they've read almost every single one of them. And my girls have read every single one of them on their own, just sitting there. And so what I'll do is I'll say, okay, kids, Uh, You need to run for 20 minutes. You need to go on the trampoline in between your subjects. We're going to take breaks. We're going to do tons of recess because I need you healthy and I need you, you know, I get two of my kids got ADHD. So it's like, go bounce on a trampoline. And then I say, okay. And then they get done with their score. And they're like, can we play the iPad? And like, you know, they get 20 minutes a day of the iPad. And I say, not till after three. And now they're so pissed. Why, 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 why? And I'm like, because we're going to read. Because I'm doing XS90 and I can't watch television. So we're all going <laughs> to read. Yeah. But they sit down and they get it. And I said, you can pick any book. But every single person in this room for 20 minutes, we're all going to read together silently our own books. And it is like you can hear a pin drop. They get settled. Now, sometimes Thomas will get restless or I'll get restless or the dog will get. Re- okay. It doesn't break it up. We just keep reading. And then 20 minutes easily becomes 45. Yeah. Easily. They don't even realize. they Now they just want to finish the book. And then at the end of the night, I read to them, and then we pray the rosary, and they go upstairs and go to bed. And then I podcast.
1: With your real family.
0: With my real wife. Um, can I tell you? Who has 45% controlling interest.
1: <laughs> 45. <Yeah. You're> bitching <laughs> about your editing. No, I'm just I'm totally just kidding. I'm just kidding. Mm. I'm just kidding.
0: I know you are. I know you are. That's why I love you, baby. Oh, I'm
1: sorry. You're allowed. To, um, yeah, you, you don't ever dig dig deep. I'm the one who always does. Uh, cuts deep. Probably At least on know. the show. Yeah, At least on the <laughs> <That's> show. <true. laughs> Behind your back. I'm terrible. Um, one thing I've actually been enjoying is a podcast uh, called uh, The New Yorker Fiction. And it's just like people, uh, like current authors, they read a, a short story. Uh, that was appeared in a past edition of the of um the New Yorker and there's one that I really every time I go to'm like I need to I love uh, short stories like i I just love short stories yeah me too so my one of my favorite um, classes in school was was the one uh, class we would take with um short stories with that really old dude. Uh, who was clearly who was just like I haven't changed since 1975. So shut the fuck up, kids, <laughs> <laughs> or I'll beat you with a switch. Look at this corduroy up jacket. Isn't this cool as hell? <laughs> so, um, he was awesome. He kind of Have you ever seen that like old, that like old um SNL skit with Hal? It's uh Bill, Bill Hader doing Hal, the like older reporter. Oh yeah, and, uh, he, he reminds yeah. me of that guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but anyways, um,
1: there was uh, one a short story from the first of January. Uh, it's a guy named um, Kevin Barry, who is an Irish author, I believe. Um, he read he um, reads a story called "Um, A Family Man" by V.S. Um, Pritchett, and it's really, really good. Basically, it's a story about these. Two women who in the in the in, the, in the, the, the entire story is like they talk and one's having an affair with his other with his other woman's um husband and it's just a really interesting analysis for like um like a like a whole lot of things, but just what how we like our are like why we do things and what are, and what are, what our perception are of those things. And what's actually going on and what happens when you're like, when, what happens um, when reality comes crashing in yeah, and then, wh- and how we think what we're doing and how other people perceive us. And it's just, yeah. fin- it was, I love it. It's, it's I, like every time I always, I'm like, I need to listen to this podcast more because it's just, these are cha- like, the great thing about, like, about a uh, short story is you kind of have to get to the point. And I really like this podcast because I feel like a lot of modern ones are just like, look at how weird this um person is, aren't they great? And like, yeah, and yeah. Th- like this is not. And the old ones aren't so much defined by how they are, are different, and, and, and that's not necessarily bad. It's just after a while, I get to be a, a bit much. Um, mm-hmm. It's more just like <laughs> the truths. Like, and any um, and the thing I love about when like you, you read a novel or anything, any um, any um, work of fiction that tries to take itself more like seriously is truth always comes out even if people don't necessarily even if they're saying something that's the like the exact or even they're saying like hey falsehood you can see the truth there because you recognize what's wrong about it and um it's uh i, I don't know it's kind of one of those tests everything hold on to the good hold on to the good uh, kind of a thing for me. So I really enjoyed every, um, they had one, um, one short story. I forget, I forget the name of it. And you think it's kind of boring until you get to the end. And the whole thing is about Acedia. Mm. But I don't think the authors, I don't think the people, sorry. I don't know what the author meant. I'm not sure if the peop, if the person who read it and, and or if the host picked that up. But I was like, holy crap, this is all about Acidia. It's. I mean, it's. It's like it's. It's plainly about Acedia, and it like, it. Um. It's cool too because I do like the fact that you get to hear um. You hear a modern author who so maybe don't 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 um know about a bit talk about like what they like what they like and why and why they like that. It helps me. It's improved my um I'm reading a bit by like paying attention to things that I would never pay attention to. And so uh it's really good. Again, it's called The New Yorker fiction. Um, it's uh where you have a modern author, they will read a, a uh, they'll I'll read a short story by that has appeared in The New Yorker. I forget how old the New Yorker is, but they go back. I mean there was I mean like that book about um Hasidia, I think it was from like sorry, that story that was about Hasidia. I want to say it was from the nineteen twenties or something like that. But really, really good. So uh, the one I just was to call Kevin Barry reads vs Pritchett. Yeah, okay. yeah. Have have you heard of him? Vs Pritchett. Apparently, he died in uh, like ninety seven. He was a, a Christian scientist, and so uh, I really liked the story. of family man. It was really really cool. Um, definitely not something you want to listen to with kids. But I, I would I would be curious to get your thoughts on that story if you were t- to listen to it. Mm, okay. So and it's 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 also kind of fun too because like like a lot of times just coming from a different point of a uh, point of view from the author who is, I'm reading the story, not the author of the story, but the other person or, and the host, I may not agree with their points, but I always like hearing what they have to say. And it kind of challenges me and, it, and I'm able to go, I don't agree with that, but it's, it's, it's kind of cool. And I really, really, I don't like it. So mm. then, I, then I put on some avant-garde jazz and I'm like, hell yeah, Luke, hell yeah. <laughs> and then i'm like girl <laughs> stop apologizing uh, listen I want, I want i do want to uh, uh t- tell you something and i will we you can, you can put it in the show you don't have to but when you were saying about how before about the podcast and i was overwhelming you were like should i just like quit this whole thing like while you were i'm saying that i was doing some uh, uh, like on um, mental math in, in my head about okay what would this mean for like our budget In terms of like how our income would go down if that were to happen, and I only bring it up, not because I'm saying don't do it, but like I'm willing to get rid of that if it means your happiness. Like it's not worth it to me. For it's not. It's just not worth it. And so I was only doing the math because I was just like, yeah. I mean, there's no reason why. Like, like here's we'll change this, this, and this, and it'll be fine. Like Mm -hmm. it's it truly isn't. Like the most important thing is that like is your is like your vocation. And that this is the thing that you like doing.
2: Yeah.
1: Like, I don't ever, ever, ever want you to feel like you have to do this. Like, I will walk away. I mean, I've wanted to walk away so many times. Mostly because I'm just <laughs> like, I'm so, I mean, and it's, it's, it, is, it never has anything to, to do with you. It's always like, I, I'm like overwhelmed or I'm tired of, so you know, it, like, yeah. I don't want to, you know. You know, we talked about this ad, I'm nauseous, but like it, I remember when I interviewed for the job at layman they ask me like why not turn catching foxes into like a business like why you know i'm just like because i don't want the cost of what it takes to, to make this a full-time thing to me isn't worth it i don't want to be catholic up celebrity i don't want to be it's just yeah. it's ugly and i don't like it and um mm-hmm. what's that one line has it go? It's like you're <laughs> like you're like men are brutish and you're women ugly <laughs> Hey, check out our uh, merch store, which will be in the show notes because I'm gonna put them there. Uh we've got some merch. Buy it, please. <laughs> After talking about <laughs> tote i stuff like, hey, but you, you need that tote bag though. Dude, I'm not gonna lie, I literally
0: want the tote bag for my audio equipment as I take it back and forth from uh as I take it back and forth from work because I had to record every knee shall bow today. And so that's why I left it up at work. I was like,
1: Where's my stuff? It was on my backpack.
0: Son of a gun. I left it upstairs.
1: Buy a tote bag. Just go get the Novo card and buy yourself a tote bag. Oh, you beautiful. Why don't bit. you get Shannon a shirt or something like that? <laughs> Why don't you go get yourself something nice? <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of I'm a Catching Foxes. Is it going to be the last one? Who knows? We never do. Thank you to our sponsors BetterHelp, Athletic Green, and OSV Challenge. Oh, there we go. Yay! Hey. Oh, hey!